family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. We've been in this sermon series now for a few weeks, and when we as pastors were planning this, we purposely planned it at this time when we were going back to school, because it's when we hit new rhythms, when those rhythms seems to pick up pace very rapidly, and there's so much more coming at us, there's so much more happening, there's so many more demands on our time and our attention, and so we wanted to talk about what it means to get our life back, how do we reclaim our lives from that? And as we are into the third week of this series now, the first week we talked about how you have to lose your life first. Mark eight thirty five says, Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And then last Sunday I was over in the sanctuary, but Bert was here and he was also talking about divine disruptions and interruptions. And that the way we learn how to deal with interruptions is by following the example of Jesus. And we dealt with and, and delved into that story of Jesus being on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, but he stops, he's interrupted, and he gives his full attention to the woman who needs healing. He stops what he's doing, and he leans into that moment, and he heals that woman before he goes on to, to finish what he had started out to do. We can be doing something good, even holy and worthwhile, and be interrupted. And Jesus showed us how we're to respond to that with love. And this week, we're going to talk a little bit about when we're going from thing to thing to thing, when we need a break. How do we get that break? How do we make time for those pauses? How do we make time for rest? How do we make time to be back in God's presence? And we're going to look again at how Jesus dealt with interruptions, how he dealt with people constantly putting pressure and putting demands on his time. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44 today. We're talking about when Jesus fed the 5,000. And listen to this first part. The apostles returned to Jesus, see that they've been out doing things, and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw the great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. 
Send them away into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five loaves and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples, and sat before the people. He divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. They took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. So I want to put this a little bit in context. Our scripture last week with Jairus healing the woman, I mean, excuse me, Jesus healing Jairus' daughter and the woman at that time as the end of chapter 5. And then we get into chapter 6. So immediately after that, with all the crowds around them and, and pressing in around Jesus, Jesus went to Nazareth. He went to his hometown. If you remember, he was rejected by his family and his friends there. So he's gone through this experience of thinking going home, but it doesn't go as he planned. And instead, he faces rejection. And from there, he sends the 12 disciples out. This is when they are sent out two by two with nothing on but their sandal. Well, I shouldn't say nothing on but their sandals. <laughs> they don't take any money with them. <laughs> their cloaks and their sandals, and they go out. And he tells them to go out and heal to cast out demons and anoint with oil. So the the 12 have been out carrying this out. And now, while that's happening, John the Baptist is killed. So you have that undercurrent and that loss going on as well. And then now, all the disciples have come back. They're back with Jesus again. And this is when they're there together. They're at this moment, and they've returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And this is when Jesus says, let's go off someplace desolate, just us. Let's rest. And then what happens? They get in the boat. They're going along the shore, but the people are actually running ahead of them. And they're there by the thousands there before they can ever even get there. They're already greeting them there. And I want to put this in just a little bit more context and as we continue in the sermon today. After they do this, because now you're thinking, okay, now they get to go take their break, right? They're going to go off. They're going to have their time. They're going to have their time to rest. So Verse 45, it says, Immediately he made his disciples, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, and he dismissed the crowd. So he puts the, the disciples in a boat and says, Go on over there. I'll meet you there. So I'm sure the disciples now are thinking, Okay, some rest. We're going to get a break. Does anybody remember what happens? Big storm hits. But Jesus walks on that water, and he calms that storm. And I think, as I'm reading these scriptures, as I spent time in it this week and looking at that context, is how we can all feel sometimes. We feel like we come up to take a breath, 
and we get hit in the face with another wave, with another storm. That we have been trying to, to get away, to get a rest. And not necessarily even selfishly, but so that we'd be arrested so that we can do what we were called to do. But the pace of life can be unrelenting. And Jesus and his disciples experience all of this through rejection from his family and friends, through the, the, the work that they have done, through the loss of John the Baptist. Jesus tells them, it's, let's go to a desolate place. Let's go to an empty place. But the people greeted them there. Because here's the thing, when the Holy Spirit is abiding, when the Holy Spirit is moving, people don't stop. They're drawn to it. You can't keep people away. If you look back at the Asbury Revival this past year, we saw the same thing. This little bitty town in Kentucky, I think literally has one light, maybe two, (laughs) where people were just drawn to it because the Holy Spirit was moving and people couldn't stay away. When I was there about a week, week and a half after they had kind of changed the focus of it and they weren't allowing as many people there, there were still people showing up. I'd be walking across campus and cars would just pull alongside me and they're like, where's the revival? Where do I go? People were still searching it out in that time. The Holy Spirit never tires. But we, we as humans, we get tired. We feel like life just keeps coming at us and we can't catch our breath. They were going to take a break. But what happened when Jesus landed, he saw people and he had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And compassion is an expression of the Holy Spirit. It's a response that Jesus had to their hunger for that encounter with him. It wasn't just charity. Charity's feeling sorry for one, someone, and, and it can be righteous and, and right for us to, to have charity. But charity allows us to keep a distance. Compassion, you have to sit with someone. You have to be in that circumstance with them. You have to meet them where they are, and that's exactly what Jesus did. He had compassion on the people. He was willing to sit with them and shepherd them, for the lost and the desperate and the forgotten. He couldn't turn his back on them. The Holy Spirit expresses compassion through that ministry of teaching, the way he compassionately shepherds them. I think about teachers uh, this week as we're returning to school, and I love this image in my head of teachers compassionately shepherding their children, especially in those, the little ones through those first weeks of school. And it's a lot like the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus compassionately shepherded and taught them, and then they had a snack. And they had goldfish. (laughs) That's what teachers have. (laughs) They had fish. (laughs) So we, we are in these circumstances, too, where we are called to teach, where we are called to compassionately shepherd people. But now it's dinner time. They haven't had any downtime. There's not been any relaxing around the campfire with Jesus and kind of rehashing things and uh, processing things. Nope. There's 5,000 people that need to be fed. And the disciples are like, "Mm, 
think we should send y'all home. Why don't y'all just go on home? We're in a desolate place. There's nothing around here, Jesus. And Jesus says, feed them. I think that at that moment, their heads really started spinning. I think their head was already spinning because they'd already calculated, oh, wait, there's no place to eat. We need to send these people away. And then when they go to Jesus and his response is, feed them. He's stretching them past their normal capacity so that they will learn to rely on the Holy Spirit and minister in compassion with the Holy Spirit. This is where I'm going to use this word today, boundaries, but I'm using it a little bit differently than how we kind of use it in pop culture today where that ability and to draw that line of when do we say yes and when do we say no Those boundaries come into play, but Jesus made intentional moves to set healthy boundaries for himself and his followers. But guess what? People just kind of ran all over that boundary, didn't they? They always do because there's no end to human need. There is no end to the demands that we can feel in our life sometimes. My parents um, last late summer, early fall, within two months, um, both of them were diagnosed with cancer and became patients at MD Anderson. Um, It felt like, and still does a little bit, like I can't catch my breath. Um, There's just kind of one thing after another, and although they're both doing well, there's just this sense that there's always something waiting. There's no end to their needs and what they need right now. But... The good news is there is no end to the capacity of the Holy Spirit. There is no end to the capacity of the Holy Spirit to provide for them and for me. The disciples could not feed those 5,000 people on their own. There was simply no way. They were kind of at the end of their rope. That's why they wanted to send the people away, I think, because they really didn't know what else to do in this situation. And that's what happens a lot of times. The trouble is we usually don't know when we're at the end of our rope until it's too late. We don't realize until we're already burned out and overtired. And people who are burned out and overtired are terrible at making decisions and setting boundaries. Instead, they start to craft strategies to protect themselves and to protect themselves from other people, which leads to isolation. This week, I was reading some in Genesis and was reading about Cain. And Cain had killed his brother Abel. And God calls him out on this, but he gives him grace and mercy. But Cain is worried. He's like, you send me out of here, like, I'm going to have, someone's going to kill me. They're going to take revenge on me. And God says, don't worry, I'll give, give them a sign, and they will not do that. So Cain goes on, and he marries and has a child, starts a family. But then the next thing he does is he starts to build a city. And a city in that context in that time had walls. So he, he wasn't fully trusting God. He wasn't trusting God's provision and his protection And the result of that was isolation. He started to shut himself off, started to build walls between us and them. But there's a better way than that. 
boundaries are not for protecting us. The boundaries that Jesus put into place in his life and around the disciples were there to prepare them to serve and to love. Yes, Jesus had boundaries. He went to solitary places to pray. He even banned fasting while he was alive with the disciples because he said, no, 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 this is for a time when I'm not here. On the Sabbath, he healed people instead of giving in to legalistic religious observance. And then he taught the disciples to eat and drink in remembrance of him, that he was their greatest nourishment. I think Jesus would have done well in a modern, you know, company culture. He was trying to take his employees on a nice little staff retreat. They were going to debrief. They were going to process through everything that had been happening. A lot had been gone on. Maybe revision, you know, take a little time together. But it's important to take those moments. But it's hard when you don't feel like you can. And you don't feel like you can ever get those moments in. One of the things I shared last week over in the sanctuary was um, when I shared my testimony, I shared that my husband traveled a lot. He was in the military, and so he was gone a lot. Um, at one point in my life, when my boys were relatively little, um, we had a stool in our pantry, and um, that was great for reaching things up on the high shelf, but it was also a great place to sit and close the pantry door um, and just take a few minutes to get away from the world for a few minutes. I needed that rest. I needed that break. Also had some cookies and some snacks in there that I could have, have a little downtime. It was great, but it never failed that eventually they would find me. <laughs> little fingers would come underneath the door, you know, that I would start hearing things. They would push, you know, something underneath the door for me to open or fix or do or something. We try to take those moments. We try to rest, and it was so that I could be a good mom to my kids. I just needed a few moments. When we set those healthy boundaries, they set us free from being responsible for things, and they free us to be responsible to people. They free us to have the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work in us. They remind us that we need to turn to Jesus first. We're not talking about saying no to others so that you can say yes to yourself, just about self-care here. We're talking about saying yes to yourself in the name of Jesus so you can minister to other people in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you hear that? So that you can minister to other people in the power of your Holy Spirit, not in your own strength, not in your own wills and desire and capabilities and skills, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we set those boundaries. It's a way of being obedient to the Holy Spirit. It's a way of moving in a way and responding in a way that makes work for God's grace. But that grace works through our limitations and in spite of them. That was what was so important for the disciples to learn the situation. They had been out healing people and casting out demons in the name of, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they came back and Jesus said, feed 5,000 people. 
And it threw him. It threw him for a loop. But it's not about holding people at a distance. It's about holding Jesus even closer. About prioritizing our time with Jesus. When we're faced with a problem, we need to start with Jesus. The disciples' first reaction, and I can kind of relate to this, they'd already calculated the cost and time and money. They had already figured out all the obstacles that were in their way. And Jesus, Jesus was just hoping that he would remember, they would remember. Remember that time we were on the boats and you cast your nets out and the boats were so full it almost sank them? Remember how I provided then? He was hoping they would appeal to him first. They were faced with a challenge so large that if Jesus didn't intervene, it would absolutely fail. Think about a challenge in your life that you are faced with. That if Jesus doesn't intervene, it's going to fail. We're faced in life with challenges at time that seem bigger than we can possibly navigate. And so we start with Jesus. If you look at even in ministry, when we, we have these outreaches to foster care, and we have so many people in this church who are passionate about ministering to that area, and they're working in a horribly broken system. The challenges are insurmountable, not just the challenges created by the system itself, but the challenges and the sin and brokenness that the children bear the brunt of can seem absolutely overwhelming. And there's not a thing that anyone can do other than allow the Holy Spirit to work in that situation so that those children can know God's love and grace and forgiveness. Yes, we are called to be a part of that, but we are called to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. It's not our challenge to fix. It's our challenge to participate in. The disciples saw a problem, and Jesus saw people who were hungry, and he had compassion on them. And I kind of, I can relate to that. I think if I was a disciple, I would have looked around, been kind of ready for everybody to go home, (laughs) probably a little hangry and tired, wanted to get on with my plans. It was good plans. I wanted to go spend time with Jesus. And then this unplanned thing happens, this huge interruption. But here's the thing, compassion is unplanned. We can't wake up in the morning and think, okay, today I'm going to be compassionate. Because we don't know when that circumstance is going to arise, when that person or situation or challenge we're going to be faced with. But we know that God is going to be there with us, that the Holy Spirit will have moved through and before us in that situation because compassion is the nature of God. It's a way of being so attuned to other people that we see past their immediate need and into what they really need, like Jesus did. It's who the Holy Spirit is making us to be. 
It's not about giving more of ourselves. It's about becoming an entirely new person, having our hearts and minds transformed by the Holy Spirit. The disciples' first reaction was not compassion. In their minds, they thought, you want us to spend half a year's wages on this? And sometimes that's the easier response. Sometimes it's easier, as necessary as money is, to help ministries and to make those things possible, yes. But sometimes God calls us to be in the middle of a situation, to rely on him to meet the need. And so Jesus performs this miracle. Jesus knew those people were going to be on that shore when they got off that boat. (laughs) He knew what the disciples needed to learn that day. And he knew that they needed to see a miracle. Jesus gave them a picture of what limitations and scarcity of resources looks like. They had five loaves and two fish. Y'all used to work in the youth department. That'd be the equivalent of having 75 to 100 kids up in the loft and having one pizza. Maybe even less than that. Maybe half a pizza. A personal pan pizza. It's not going to go well. There's just not enough. But Jesus, he doesn't balk at it. He doesn't even stop and think about the impossibility of the task at hand. Sometimes interruptions to us can feel like demands. They can feel impossible and they can feel insurmountable. But what did Jesus do? He took what he had. And he took that bread. And he blessed it. And he broke it. And if you look at the grammar of this sentence, those words took, blessed, broke are all in the past tense. But then he gave He gave it to the disciples to give to the people. And when he gave, that's in the imperfect tense. That means it goes on and on and on. It continues indefinitely into the future. Notice also, 5,000 fish didn't just appear. Did they? No. It doesn't say that. They didn't fall down out of the sky. There weren't suddenly you know, yetis with fish, you know, strategically placed around the mountainside where they were. They just started doing what Jesus called them to do. And the miracle didn't happen just once. It happened over and over and over again. That is what God's provision and love and grace looks like. The bread and the fish were continuously multiplying in his hands, and that miracle happened again and again and again. And so I want us to look at today, as we receive communion today, looking in Mark 14, 22 through 24, as they were eating, he took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Here's the key in Jesus' hands, we are the bread. He receives us, he takes us away from our sin, and then he blesses us, and he breaks us. 
and he fills us with something entirely new. That bread isn't the bread from H-E-B anymore. It isn't the juice from H-E-B anymore. Once we pray over it, it becomes the body and blood of Christ. In the same way, once Jesus takes us, blesses us, and breaks us, he enters us and fills us with the Holy Spirit. And then we're able to give because we have the Holy Spirit in us. Because it's the Holy Spirit who responds with compassion and love and grace and mercy. We need to learn how to live our lives in Jesus' hands. With him transforming us, miracle after miracle. Always more than we could ever need. There was leftovers. They had leftovers. But what we need to remember when we have those challenges is to always go back to Jesus. Really, start with Jesus. We do that by laying our heart before him. As I invite Ryan and Sean to come back up, I want us to think about as we're going to sing a song and then we're going to have communion, receive communion in a few minutes. But I want you to think about this during this time. The disciples put a lot of time and energy into their plan. They thought about what they were going to do and how they were going to do it. They were going to have to, well, it's going to cost this amount of money and, well, we should send them away early. And they came up with their own plans for it. But they didn't start with Jesus. And through that, Jesus was able to give over and over and over. It's why we do communion weekly. It's a means of grace to help us remember that he is the bread of life that sustains us. That he gives and provides the Holy Spirit over and over again for each of those challenges that we meet in life. For all of those moments when we come up to take a breath and get hit by life again. When we're dealing with difficult situations, whether it's divorce or dealing with something that our children are going through or illness. Personally, you're taking care of someone that we love that's ill as well. Sometimes we can just think, I just need a rest. I just need a break. I don't have anything left to give. And in that moment, when the challenges feel so insurmountable, is when we start with Jesus and allow him to hold us, to take us, to bless us, to break us, and to mold us and to fill us so that we're no longer reliant on ourselves, but reliant on the Holy Spirit and the way that he moves and the way that he continues to give over and over and over again. So as we go into this time of of worship and we continue in worship, be preparing your heart for that. Prepare your heart today for when you come to receive communion, that you hold your hands out to receive it because you can't take it. It's a gift. It is given to you by Jesus. 
and the opportunity to remember that as we eat that bread, it is more nourishment and more filling than we could ever imagine. Because it's no longer that bread. It's about us remembering to start with Jesus and he will sustain us and he will give us what we need to make it through those challenges.